Hello and welcome to Film Fan. My name is Caleb Fortenberry and I will be your host for today's podcast and the many to come. Keep in mind while listening, I am not a professional, nor do I pretend to be one. I'm just a normal guy doing reviews of movies. Alright, we got a great show for you guys. Coming up we have our special guest speaker, Movie of the Week, Top 3, We View Previews, and Cinema Trivia. Be warned, the podcast you're about to hear has spoilers. Today we have a very special guest, director, producer, writer, and actor, John Woodruff. John, it's good to have you on the show. Hey, likewise. Thanks for having me, Caleb. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your job and what you do um, You know, in the movie biz? It's kind of cool having somebody that's actually in the movie business on the show. So Yeah, cool. Um, so basically, I just completed production on my first feature film, Um I didn't write this one. Um, I actually got involved with it through doing some screenwriting uh, consultation. And um, through doing that, uh, the guy who was writing the film, Jonathan Murphy, he actually asked me to come on and produce it with him. And then uh, I had directed several short films and worked on some music videos and different things like that in different capacities. Um, So ended up coming on as a director and directing it. And uh, yeah, we just walked it through post and now we're in... uh, in the sales side of things and uh, working now on the development for my next feature. Yeah, that's awesome. So what's your uh, what's your next project? Can you tell us anything about that? Or can yeah, you tell so us anything about the, the current project, like the name and what you got rolling with it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can tell you about the last project and uh, the upcoming projects. The, the film that I just completed is called Animal Among Us. Um, the synopsis basically is, uh, that 15 years ago, two teenage girls were murdered at the Merrymaker campgrounds. The case was filed an animal attack. The camp was condemned and the killer never found, but something horrific still waits in those woods. Um, it's kind of set in the bloody camp subgenre as far as the horror genre. Um, we try to like set up a lot of stereotypes and cliches within the film, only to then break the stereotype or cliche right at the point that we get to it and take a severe left turn. Um, it's kind of cool because the bloody sam- uh, bloody subgenre, bloody camp subgenre, sorry, it often tends to be a very exploitational genre, um, kind of predictable and a little bit maybe lacking in uh, plot substance or... Um, intellectual substance so we you know we actually brink a little bit um even on the psychological thriller side of things because uh we try to take it a little bit past just the uh the the stigmas that are most readily attached to the genre you know yeah you know and that's that's something so we'll we'll get to it uh i got to watch the preview and it was it was pretty good because it had me thinking of what like I really didn't know where it was leaning, and it will get to all of it whenever we do the other segment. But uh, yeah, just from what you said, it's kind of reaffirming my uh, my ideas about it. So it's kind of cool hearing it from the person that made it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to, very cool. To know that, yeah, that's that's pretty neat. So all right, so you said you got another one upcoming. Or right, is it in the works? Are y'all making it right now? Are you writing it, or what's going on with that? Yeah, so I'm still in the development stage um, of the process, and what's interesting is I've. I've kind of learned that in this day and age, I mean, obviously like quality is imperative and uh, an audience's expectations for the quality of a film are are higher than they've ever been. I mean, we have a a world of basically professional consumers right now. Uh, You can find anything 
on the internet at any time and most people have access at any time through their smartphone. So people are consuming more content than they ever have before. Their expectations mm -hmm. are higher. Um, but it's changed the economic climate of the film industry tremendously. So you, you can't just, if you're kind of a, uh, starting out as a filmmaker, you probably can't make like whatever you want to make. You kind of have to try to account for, um, what's needed and what can be sold. So that being said, I've basically tried to, um, pick several projects to develop from a script perspective that uh, several concepts that I think could work well from a business perspective um, as well and and also fit in line as a follow-up film for myself. So I'm currently developing a kind of a sci-fi horror film, um, a creature feature, and then a little bit of a slasher slash murder mystery film. Okay, see, and that's the, the animal among us. That's kind of interesting because that was... Uh... What I was wondering, was it a creature? Was it like a Bigfoot type thing? You know, that's you kind of get that idea from it. But totally. Now that, now that I'm thinking about it and watching the previews again, it's starting to, yeah, the wheels are starting to turn a little bit, starting to make a little sense, but I'm hoping that it's going to be all completely what I'm not thinking it's going to be because I love getting my mind twisted like that. But I'm uh, really looking forward to it, yeah. So, yeah, we'll have to get you on the show again for sure uh, once those you start getting those rolling a little bit and I can see those previews. Uh, yeah, so that would be awesome. This, when is Animal Among Us supposed to come out or when is it supposed to release? So we currently have it with a sales agent and he's shopping it around to different distributors. Um, it, that was an interesting process. It's the first time that I have gone through the sales process with a feature film um, mm -hmm. in the capacity of one of the lead producers on the project. And in this day and age, there are, in a way, more avenues of distribution than ever before. You can self-distribute. You can go a more traditional route with uh, going directly to a distributor. You can get a sales agent to kind of help to connect you to a distributor. And um, for us in talking, exploring the self-distribution route and then also talking to sales agents and distributors, we found someone that we felt very strongly was just the the best choice for the film that we had and our goals as to what we wanted to accomplish with the film. We were super fortunate to get a very recognizable cast with our film. Um, Larissa Olenek, who was Bianca in 10 Things I Hate About You. She was uh, Alex Mack and the real Alex Mack. Um, she's just done a tremendous amount of stuff. We had a okay. UFC world champion and Hall of Famer Don Fry. So Aaron Daniels from House of a Thousand Corpses and One Hour Photo, Heather Tom, who has several Emmys and is big on the young and restless. So we didn't want to rely solely on self-distribution. We wanted to try to be able to um, partner with a larger company with an established track record of putting films out on a broad basis that people have recognized and heard of. And so that's kind of why we went that route. And we're currently exploring then uh, different distribution companies to partner with and we'll we'll see where it falls well it seems like a smart move to me um yeah it's uh, i really can't wait to watch it though so we don't know we don't know when it's gonna be released yet do you know it's gonna be this year though at least i'm i'm hoping that it'll be this year okay. we're actually you know believe it or not i mean yeah I'm, I'm really hoping it'll be this year um believe it or not 
so for one thing, like to settle on a sales agent, I mean, that was, that took us several months. Um, we were talking to a lot of people, taking a lot of meetings, um, had a lot of interest in the film, got a great response from everybody. But then when you start like talking to each individual party and kind of looking at their sales strategy, their business plan, their track record, and then also like the economics of what they can offer with their plan, it becomes a little bit of a long process to like shop around. You really want to try to make sure that you find the right fit for your film. Obviously, it's critical. Um, so that took us several months to to finally kind of come to a, a, a general consensus is that this was the right direction to go and this was the right company to go with. Now for him, we kind of go through that process again from the sales agent to the distributor. He's shopping it around. He's talking to people, seeing what offers he gets, who might be the best fit. He comes back to us. We kind of confer with each other and then we move forward from there. The thing of it is, even once we settle on a distributor, a lot of times they like to have anywhere from say maybe three to six months to ramp up for a release to kind of like beat the bushes, spread the word, do a little bit more intense publicity. So okay. even at this point, it, we're only going into June, but it's like we could be potentially walking the line a little bit close for that 2018 release, which I would love to get. Um, <laughs> it's just a question of if, if we're able to move it along that fast. Right. right. Well, yeah, that's it's awesome getting all this insight because, see, you know, I'm sure a lot of people that are listening to this right now have no idea that all this goes into it. And I'm not I'm not trying to insult their intelligence or anything, but I didn't know. I didn't well, know that that I mean, that's that's a lot. And it, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And, it's, it, go ahead. <laughs> well, no, I was just going to say and to your point and, and, you know, kind of like building off of, of the comment of not wanting to insult their intelligence. I mean. Not that I'm, you know, a smart guy at all, uh, but this has been a huge learning curve for myself and my producing partner as well. And, you know, this is the first time either of us have been through this process and just kind of learning like how long it takes and how many steps there are to it and how many potential pitfalls there are. You know, it's it's like it's it's always a learning experience and it takes time. And yeah, it's just there's a lot. A lot to know. <laughs> yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. It seems like everybody that I listen to um, that's made feature films, they all say the same thing, is that every experience is different and you learn something every time you make a movie. So I think that's pretty neat, though. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so um, do you got any names coming up? Like uh, any any um, names y'all pitched for the new movies? I want to know for the sci-fi one. i kind of curious. So, like you know an what? idea, maybe? I, I do. Um, in all actuality at this point, like I haven't quite registered them with the WGA yet um, or copyrighted them or anything like that. So I'm oh, kind of okay, keeping gotcha. them pretty close to my chest at this point. Makes so, sense. you know, I'm definitely comfortable <laughs> talking about the genre. And I, I currently, you know, one of the things that I decided to do and kind of going back to what we were discussing earlier about where quality is imperative, quantity is also expected in this day and age. And even we see a lot of the algorithms on social media and these different digital platforms where it's the frequency with which you post that moves you higher in the queue. And right. it, one of the things for films, and I mean, the studio system operates like this, where they, they basically release, say, like a slate of films. And as I know, this could be outdated information, just a disclaimer. A slate of films traditionally was 12 films. And the studio system, suggest they the idea was that if they made 12 films, Four of those films would take a loss, four of those films would break even, and four of those films would make money at the box office. 
So they were always kind of playing a bit of a numbers game. And I think that it's a numbers game now more than ever because of just the sheer quantity of content that is needed to appease the consumers. Um, So the reason I'm kind of pushing three at once right now is for that very reason, because as an independent filmmaker, from a business perspective, I need to be able to get the financial backing. I need to be able to have the distribution outlet and I need to be able to create what the distributor, the sales agent, and the consumer inevitably wants and needs. So that's why I've picked three things that are, they're a little bit similar as far as how I could um, execute them from a budgetary perspective. And they're a little bit similar enough in stories, again, to be quantifiable as genre pieces and also to be a good follow-up film for me. But they're diverse enough that it's very possible that someone would be like, I absolutely want to to finance this film or, you know, try to get pre-sales on this film or distribute this film, but the other two aren't right for me right now. Yeah. So that's a bit of my strategy in trying to push the three script development processes forward. And obviously I can't do it by myself. So I've brought on a co-writer to assist me with each of those three concepts, which is great. Um, I feel like filmmaking is just such a, uh, collaborative process anyways and it keeps you energized and it keeps the idea fresh and you have a soundboard so i've partnered up with three different writers and am developing each of these uh three scripts simultaneously yeah um (laughs) which is which is a little crazy but but super fun yeah well i mean i'm sure it does it help you like keep out the ideas of the other ones while you're writing it so you know you're not taken from your last movie and you don't realize it it, you know, it does. It's interesting. Um, they say in, that there's no such thing as a truly original story um, in this day and age. Um, yeah. We're all, ba- we're, <laughs> yeah, you know, and I'm like, eh, you know, it's like maybe fundamentally, you know, it's like you have your man versus man, man versus nature, man versus, you know, the unknown, whatever. But yeah, there themes. Are, uh, absolutely. But there are obviously like unique perspectives, unique takes and you know, with Animal Among Us, we, the goal basically was just to make the most fun, scary movie that we could possibly make. We just, we wanted it to be fun. We didn't want it to be overly exploitational. We didn't want it to be overly gratuitous. We wanted it to do basically exactly what you were saying, the way you're just kind of like, uh, you know, the gears are turning. Like, I'm trying to crack the code on this thing. I'm trying to figure it out. And we wanted the film to to do that for the viewers. And so that was kind of the goal with that film. And I think you set a goal with each of the stories you tell. And with these other three that I'm developing, um, I'm looking to accomplish like a little bit of a different reaction from the audience with each of those three. So of course I think that thematically and from a directorial and a, and a writing development process, there will be similarities. Um, you know, most filmmakers, you do see kind of like their stamp on their yeah. films. You recognize them. But hopefully Absolutely. with the co-writer, it does help me to to expand beyond myself so that it, it isn't too incredibly similar. But with Animal, again, Jonathan Murphy wrote it. Um, he brought the script to me and we worked then through further developing the script and um, for several long months. And when we took it as far as we could... We then went to people who we felt like were smarter and more experienced than us, and we got feedback, and we got notes, and then we applied that, and we used people who were like very accomplished independent filmmakers, and then I had worked for a studio head, um, a very, very successful studio head, who also was willing to give us notes on the script, and that was phenomenal to get like the studio perspective, you know, of like, keep it fast, keep it active, keep it moving, 
um, right. create these events. And then the indie guy very much is like, keep the emotion honest, keep it grounded in reality. <laughs> very, very fascinating to get those, those differing perspectives. Yeah. But I think in the end, it makes for a relatively unique film. And, and I'm hoping that by bringing these co-writers on in the development of the, of the subsequent films to have them each find their own unique space and voice. Yeah. And uh, you'll only learn from each one you make, obviously. Absolutely. Seems like, <laughs> seems like you learned a lot this time around. And, oh, man, I mean, more I than have... I would have liked to, you know, actually, if I'm going to be completely honest. Yeah, a little, <laughs> little disillusionment here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, I'm glad you were able to join me on the show. Um, all right, it's time for the second best portion of the show. It's time for... Movie of the Week. So, Movie of the Week is a segment where me and my guests watch a movie during the week, try to keep an open mind, and just talk about it. And the Movie of the Week is... It Follows. Yep, (laughs) It Follows, that's right. Alright, so a quick synopsis of it. It's a young woman named Jay, played by Meka Mieka Monroe, I'm not sure how to say her name. Uh, I'll leave that one up to you. Yeah, she's (laughs) confronted and followed by a supernatural force after a sexual encounter and has to figure out how to get rid of it. So that's basically it. Um, yeah, it's. I watched it again uh, once we decided. I watched it today, actually. Just, cool. uh, yeah, I've seen it before, but I wanted to watch it again and see how it was um, after I'd seen it. You know, I like I already knew what was coming, what was going to scare me, so I could right. pay a little bit more attention to the film rather than just waiting for the jump scares and stuff like that. Right, right. <laughs> so overall, what did you think of this movie? You know, it follows, I find to be a very interesting film. Um, Just in the synopsis you read, you know, it's like at the heart of it, it's a very simple concept. Um, And I think a lot of times the most effective films are based on very simple concepts. But the the thing that makes this interesting, I think, is the way that it relates um, to each individual who would watch it. You know, everybody that looks at this film is like, that could happen to me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, obviously there's a lot of, uh, of metaphorical or allegorical elements to it, which I think it, yep. it just makes it really interesting. And for me, it wasn't scary so much on a, um, on a jump level or anything like that. It is more the concept that's scary and that, that kind of sticks with you, you know? Yeah. So the director, I was reading this, it was, it said that the director, um, had had these two dreams at different times in his life where uh, somebody would follow him around and just like stalk him and right. it scared the bejesus out of him you know he'd wake up and he'd be like that was creepy and it happened to him a couple times so he like wanted to bring that kind of aspect into it so it was personal to the director too which now that I know that that's kind of interesting um, and you took the words right out of my mouth again. You're just saying it better <laughs> than I could say it. Uh, yeah, as far as it being metaphorical, um, yeah, there's a lot of different things in there. And, uh, you know, basically it's a supernatural STD. Um, yeah. And, you know, it makes you think, like, that could happen to anybody. It's not just, not just you know, like on the real side of it, like you don't think about the consequences of it, but, uh, you know, there's... STDs that can kill you eventually. So, absolutely, and I, I think the fact that you know, like this experience resonates and sticks with these characters and and within you know their group of friends and just like a lot of nice like parallels, um, you know, between the representation in the film and and to what you were saying, like real life, you know, yeah. um, <laughs> which I, I think is one of the things that allowed it to 
to hit as hard as it did is just because, you know, at the crux of horror, if it's really going to work, you have to find something that's relatable to an audience. And just like you said, it's like, this is something everybody can relate to. And I think also the closeness, um, to, to love and relationships, um, that this like falls, this, this horror or this event also makes it especially kind of interesting um, because that's a point where people are generally emotionally open and they're vulnerable and they're exposed and they're in a trusting, safe place. And then to kind of have this like invasive um, entity come into that and interrupt that really, really makes it a, a very simple but very compelling idea. So with me, as far as the the general scariness of it, like I know there wasn't the jump scares that were in there, they weren't really that scary. But right. if since you're already on the edge of your seat, well, the second time it's not scary. I don't remember the first time. The only okay. thing I remember about watching it the first time was I went outside on the porch, and I had to like explain to myself that there is not going to be somebody behind me at no <laughs> point. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, totally. Like a little kid. And I just, you know, but I'm an adult. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta act like I'm an <laughs> adult it. right now. It's gonna be okay. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not real. <laughs> and how much I do wish that, that someone was standing right behind you. No, you know? God, no. You may <laughs> look behind me in this room right now. That's not cool. No, yeah, that, that was definitely, uh, the scary part of it. And then every now and then you're off by yourself somewhere and you think about it. And then that's that's kind of cool because you can, you know, with a movie like this, and I think this is why horror films are so popular, is because somebody will watch it and then they tell their friend, don't watch this film. And then yeah. they, they're like, well, now I got to watch it. So they go watch it. And so it just so, it spreads by word of mouth. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Super funny. And again, another funny parallel as to how it spreads, which I think um, is one of the reasons this film was so successful. I, I literally too. remember when this film came out, um, at that time, I'm, I'm trying to think that, like, I I can't remember. Was this film released in 2015? It was. I think it was 2014, but I didn't hear about it till 2015. It took a minute, yeah. you know. Like, I know that it opened um, at Cannes, and then uh, it took a minute for it to really catch on. But, but to your point, I first heard about this film through word of mouth. I feel like that it was some people in Ohio, and they were literally driving to Chicago to see this film because it wasn't playing around here yet, oh, wow. but they had heard so much about it. And of course that really resonates with you. It's like, wow, you're going to, I mean, it's a four hour drive from where, you know, I was at in Ohio to Chicago. And it's like, wow, you guys are serious about this. Right. Um, and then it kept spreading just like, again, the movie, Yeah. <laughs> it just, it kept spreading and, and the hype, you know, the word of mouth is really like what perpetuated this film's success. And it started with that limited theatrical release and it ended up getting a wide release and, uh, very interesting how that works. But to your point, again, a theme, an idea, a central concept that just really was relatable to a, a large amount of people and really resonated with them. And I think that you're 100% right. That's that's critical in, in success in this genre and what allowed this film to really uh, succeed to the level that it did. Well, something interesting, when I first saw it, I thought it was an independent film. Well, it technically is an indie film. It is? Um, okay. It is. And, and once they, once they got into the film festival and honestly, this is horrible. I don't know if you pronounce it. Some people say con, some people say can, I don't know, which is horrible. I, I feel I like I should either. know. <laughs> um, but once it premiered there, then, um, the, the Weinstein company picked it up and, and actually I think it was radius entertainment, which was a division 
of the Weinstein Company. And they, you know, this is an example of a distributor uh, coming into the picture that has the power then to pump some money into this thing as far as like the poster and advertising budget, get some Mm -hmm. publicity going about it, get some heat around it, and then start to do this limited theatrical release and drive people to these theaters. And then when it performs to a certain level, um, they have the power to then expand that release. And that's where, to your point about like, whoa, was this an indie film or was this, you know, a studio baby? Um, because of the, the, the caliber of distribution they got behind it, it it basically got almost like a, a studio, release which is just yeah that's amazing i remember why now why i was thinking that is because the the way that they introduced it it was just it seemed like they didn't have to have a lot of money to make it um from the consumer's viewpoint uh you know absolutely because you know the person that's or the supernatural being that's following them it's just a person you know what i mean and it's it changes people and that's it it's it's not doing anything crazy you're not seeing a lot of special effects or anything like that so when you're watching that, you're thinking that, you know, that was my initial thought. Um, but at the same time, going back to what you said, uh, I think you're right. Uh, totally, completely right. Um, do you have any kind of insight on how the movie was made? Like, um, um, so Not a tremendous amount. Um, only kind of what I've read and heard. So, I mean, I don't want people to, to you know, like take this as like <laughs> the irrefutable truth. The Bible, um, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, I know that it was his second film. It was his second feature film. Believe that they shot um, in Michigan. I believe they yes. shot in and around Detroit. I have heard and read variations as to what the budget was, but the most common seems to be that it was around $2 million dollars. Well, that, um, to me, that's a lot of money. Now, in the movie, it, I don't know if it's a lot of money in the movie industry, or for an independent. Is it? Is it a lot for an independent filmmaker? You know, it, it's funny. Um, it, it depends on what you're making. Um, to your point, with this film, the concept is so simple, and with the lack of like crazy visual effects and special effects, um, the lack of names in the film, to me, and the fact that they also shot kind of in the Midwest, more or less. Um, to me, it does seem like a pretty, uh, a pretty great budget um, to have for that film. But I do think right. that that's one of the reasons then that it it's so polished, it's so professional. I mean, mm-hmm. the the textural aesthetic, um, the atmosphere, the music, just the the color palette, everything about the film, like it's it's so cohesive it just comes together like so cohesively as a vision but i think that that's where like hopefully you know a little bit of that money was going because it's like they probably weren't just like ducking into a location and being like oh this was perfect like they probably were kind of having to like do some some set dressing and some some art department on location to get that look that they wanted um and i think they just did it very effectively you know and the film sounds great the film looks great again very polished and I, i will say this like Dude, it gets expensive fast. Like, <laughs> especially oh, sure. if you want to finish it in a timely fashion. Yeah. I mean, and you want people that can kind of make it a priority and sit there and work on it until it's done. Dude, it, it just, it gets expensive so fast. Well, I so think about the, like the disaster artist and movies, you know, it kind of shows oh, the behind yeah. the scenes of like, he's like, you got to give these people food and water, man. You got to put a bathroom in. Like, Dude, that's even the thing. Like putting people up in hotels 
getting people like to and from location sets, feeding people, not only the meals, but craft services, the peripheral <laughs> expenses are, can, can be insane. You know, it's like if you're flying people out and then you're putting them up in hotels, I mean, it just gas, gas reimbursements, not to mention, of course, like the gear that you're renting, right. um, the people that you're paying. It, it just, it's, it is a very expensive endeavor. And there was a time where I would have been like, actually, probably when this movie came out, and I was like, oh my God, $2 million is like all the money in the world. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, like after making, after making Animal Among Us, I can now see where I could easily, easily spend $2 million on a film, you know? Hmm. So it, as far as is it a lot of money or not, it's like, to me, given the simplicity of the concept, the lack of effects, um, you know, the fact that there are no names in it, I think that they had a very comfortable budget would be my opinion. It's I'm not going to say that they were like tight. I'm not going to say that they went over budget, but I think they were I think they were pretty comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Seems like it. Um, yeah. Did you have a favorite scene in the in the movie? You know, um, I did. I, I actually and it's interesting. The first time I saw the film, the hype about it was just so great um, that I finally like I went to the theater and I saw it and, and honestly I was a little bit like whoa I don't see what all the hype is about I mean I enjoyed it I liked it yeah. but I was like come on um, <laughs> went back and watched it again had a greater appreciation for it watched it the third time had a greater appreciation for it it kind of grew on me as far as like how subtle it is how natural it is um, and my favorite scene in all actuality in the film is uh, it's it's when the guy and the girl are in the car um, kind of making out right before, and then, and then it's implied that they sleep together kind of right before she wakes up in the warehouse in the wheelchair. Oh, yeah. um, I think it comes at about the 15 minute mark. And, and we started in this nice tight intimate shot of them in the back seat of this car, which is a very memorable car, a very memorable color palette, something that a lot of people can relate to in the experience of their life. Then I love how he jumps out to this wide shot to show us how isolated they are. We go back into the car. We feel safe. It's intimate. And the way that scene ends with her kind of laying on the back seat with the car door open, kind of like playing with this flower with her hand on the ground. And it's so peaceful and safe. And then he just comes up behind her and chloroforms her. Is, yeah. <laughs> it's phenomenal. And it's scary because you trust that guy. You don't think that he's the issue. And when that happens, you're just kind of like, it's so elegant. It's so simple. And again, it's so relatable, and that—that's my favorite scene in the film. Snaps her back to reality. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and 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 could happen to anyone, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> gosh, me and my wife were talking about that today. She was—I uh, don't know if you watch Supernatural. I know this is off yeah. topic. I'm sorry. Uh, no, it's okay. But the guy that plays Dean Winchester, Jensen Ankles, uh, Ankles. How do you say? Ankles, Ackles. Yeah, Ackles, he's phenomenal. Ackles, yeah. He was saying that the the episodes that scared him the most were the ones that were like realistic or the ones that could actually happen to people. So like the there's one episode where they get caught um, by these dudes that are like they hunt people and it's interesting. It's just people though. It's not monsters and they got like <laughs> put them in cages and stuff. So that was like one of the scariest episodes for him, for him because he's like people do this kind of weird stuff, you know. So oh, it's, absolutely. It's kinda, it, it, I feel like it is kind of in there. It's same somewhere on the topic. It's similar. Ab um, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, going back to the wide shots um, and the openness, uh, he does it a lot throughout the movie. Um, and I can't remember what he said. I had it somewhere. 
but basically he did that so you like you said you could feel the openness of everything and the idea that something's there and you can't see it but right you know what i'm saying like the um the supernatural being that's there you can't see it and they do these super wide shots and it's like a still shot so it's not like you have no idea where it's at but that person does and i don't know why yeah i Go ahead. I, I love that he, you know, I love that he worked so wide. I, I think a lot of times in smaller films, people tend to work in close um, because they just they don't have the scope, you know, to to show the wide shot that they would like to show. Um, even with, with Animal, I wasn't able to work nearly as wide as I would have liked. Um, it's just it's more frame to fill. It's it's more uh, to cover within your frame to make sure everything just looks great. You know, nothing can be creeping in that's out of place or breaks right. the reality. And to your point, like the wideness of which he, he shot, you see how expansive this world is. And the fact that, you know, this relentless uh, entity could be coming from any direction at any time. And I think it's interesting because it adds to this feeling of paranoia and claustrophobia, even though you're like in a wider, more open area, you just feel more exposed and vulnerable and, and unsafe, which I think was yeah. a really wide choice, wise, wide choice, a it's really a wide wise choice. choice on his part. Yeah. Wide yeah. and wise. <laughs> so the ending, the ending had me kind of like, now that I'm looking at it with the whole metaphorical sort of mindset, um, what did you think about it? Cause you noticed that they were for, I don't know if the color has anything to do with it, but they're both wearing white. Um, yep. The guy and the girl, they're holding hands, so they're basically together, and you see somebody in the background just following them, and it's like, the, it's almost like, to me, they accepted their demise. Um, Interesting. And it makes me think about, like, AIDS, you know, people, couples that have both have AIDS, and it's just, I don't know why, but I guess it's relatable to the, the whole STD thing, and they've got this disease, and they know they're going to die eventually, and I feel like that last scene was just them accepting it. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I love how it's kind of open to interpretation. Um, <laughs> and I love how much of the film, yeah. you know, is open to interpretation. They, you know, it's like when she when she goes to the beach and she sees the three guys on the boat and then we see her kind of like going out to the boat. They never fully... Um, uh, reveal what happens, you know, like, does she go out there and go through with, uh, what her potential plan would be right. or does she not, you know, it's like, we really don't know. And I think that that's one of the things that makes the interest, the, the end compelling is, is to your point, you know, it's a little bit open to interpretation, but we know regardless of whether if they successfully passed it on to a different group of people or not, that it could still be there. It could still be behind them. It still lingers. And, you know, it's still that kind of relentless presence that they've been dealing with the entire film. And I found that to be a relatively satisfying end just because they didn't defeat it and right off into the sunset. It's, yeah. it's still there potentially. Yeah. And they always have to ask themselves if it's still there or not, you know, that's crazy. Man. It is. It's interesting. Is, <laughs> is, uh, is there anything that if you could change something to make it better, would you change anything in the film? Man, I would. And I mean, this is where, again, it's like I, I I feel like I have a new appreciation for just how incredibly difficult filmmaking is um, <laughs> after making Animal and how many things have to fall just right to to make something that's just like truly spectacular. And these guys did way more right than than not. And I respect this film 
to death. But for me, I'm a bit more of a traditionalist from a storytelling perspective as to where like I like to see a more clear first act, second act, and third act structure. And I like to see more heightening throughout the film. I also like, so I like to see the stakes get raised. Um, I also like to see people have a bit of fun with their scripts. You know, I thought one of the funnest scenes in this film was when they find the guy that initially like passed it on to her and they're sitting in a little circle behind his house and he's giving them the rules of the game more or less. And there's some kid like walking across a field, like from soccer practice or something. And the kid's like, you guys see her? And you're like, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's a really nice, like, honest comedic moment. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of that. I would have, again, liked to have seen a little bit more <laughs> heightening. I felt like they didn't really explore the rules of this entity. Like, can you burn it? Can you escape it in a church? Yeah. Can you lock yourself into a room and it can't get in? Can you trap it in a room and it can't get out? Like, what led them to believe that if they brought it into the swimming pool, they could electrocute it? Like, why did they make that decision? Yeah. Um, <laughs> there were some things like that, you know, would silver kill it? Uh, would garlic keep it away? I don't know. It's like if you climb a tree, does it climb the tree after you or does it just stand at the bottom and wait you out? I would have just liked to have seen them again, like raise the stakes a little bit throughout the film and heighten it just a little that might go against the central theme, though, because, again, it's it follows and it's just this relentless entity that doesn't <laughs> change the the pace that it follows or what it does or its methodology or anything like that. But in my opinion, I think it could have they could have had a little more fun and raised the stakes a little bit more yeah. um, for what it's worth. That And that, that's really my only complaint. OK, well. Yeah, I didn't really have too many complaints except for, you know, the idea of, uh, like, the ending, the, the swimming pool thing. or Well, not the ending, but how they supposedly killed it or whatever. Um, right, right. That I kind of had that same feeling when I first watched it. I was like, this is kind of weird. Um, like, and is she not getting electrocuted, you know? Because he's yeah, throwing why? stuff. You know, a lot of little, little subtle things. It's almost like that last portion, they just kind of, I don't know if it was, like, something they had to take off the script because it was too much. You know what I right, mean? Right. I'm sure those uh, yeah. things happen all the time. So, um, like I know with Deadpool, they were supposed to, that's why he left the, the, I don't know if you've seen Deadpool, but yeah, it's yeah. just like little stuff. Like in that movie, he had to leave the, uh, bag of guns behind. So it wouldn't cost as much for all the, the whole fight scene. So right. it, yeah, like little stuff like that goes into movies that we don't see as consumers. So we're like, oh, that was weird. Why'd they do that? You know? Absolutely. But it makes sense, and, and it, you know. Go ahead. Well, yeah. And it, I mean, no, to your point, like it is weird from a filmmaking perspective. I mean, there could have been a scene and it follows that completely justified why these kids are going to this old school and trying to, you know, get this thing in a swimming pool. And, and the scene ended up getting cut because it just didn't work or it interrupted the flow of the film or something like that. Right. And you're absolutely right. It's like, it just, uh, the, the process is a little bit organic. It's a little bit, it has to be a little bit fluid. You have to give the film what it needs. And sometimes what it needs isn't what you want or what you planned. So, you know, you find these like interesting changes that can create, situations like this to where it's like well is it for better or for worse and from their perspective as the filmmakers i'm sure that they're like it's better like this for us as a consumer we're kind of like well why didn't they explain this but <laughs> we don't know what they did yeah. or didn't have to work with you know so it, yeah. it makes it very interesting 
So uh, on a scale of one to ten, we're gonna rate it real quick. What would you rate this? I'd give it a seven, man. That's pretty solid, actually. Um, why? Why? What's the what's the reasoning behind? I'd it? give it. A, I'd give it a seven just because again, like they got so much more right than not. Uh, atmospherically, texturally, aesthetically, the film is beautiful. Cohesively, it came together as a very um, effectively executed vision. Uh, it's memorable. It's quantifiable as a genre piece, but it's unique enough to stand out. Um, it has a very strong socio-political commentary, if you will, um, that is relatable to everyone. And I think that that's one of the things that causes it to stick with people. I also like the fact that for the most part, it's a relatively entertaining, fun film to watch. But again, it resonates with you. So um, I that's, yeah, that's why I'd give it high marks. Okay. Well, I'm going to give it a six just because it scared me later on. Um, <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I think uh, I'm going to say six because for the genre that it's in, um, you know, film-wise, yeah, I think they did a good job um, as far as the shots, the editing, everything. Production-wise, I think they did a good job. Uh, but as far as the genre, um, I've seen better, you know. I've seen right, scarier. Right. I've seen something that really sticks with me. Now, I'm not going to lie. It, it sticks with me because I do, <laughs> I mean, sometimes I, you know, it makes me like check behind my, behind in my back seat of my car sometimes, you know, that kind of thing. Right, right. Um, so not cool. It follows the people that made it, but uh, yeah, <laughs> so I'm going to say, I'm going to say a six. I would give it a six and a half, but I mean, if you're giving it a seven, I got to give it a six. So Absolutely. I mean, and I didn't know we could go to the, the halves. No, so, and I mean, and when, half, yeah. you know, when, when I knew we were going to have to rate this, like I debated it for a really long time and I was like, I'm going to give this Whoa, thing, man. You're taking this way too seriously. Way too seriously. I, I mean, it, it tormented me for the entire afternoon. I'm just like, what am I going to give this film? And I, I finally, I fell on the seven, man. Cause I, I do think that it's a film that will stick around and continue to pop up on lists and that people in 20 years from now will be able to relate to, um, just as today. And and so uh, I'm with you. There are scarier films. There are films that I like better. I wouldn't put this probably in my top five or ten fave list, but I, I respect it a lot. Well, that's interesting because it's time for the top three. This is a piece where we choose the top three of a genre and order them accordingly. Number one being the best. And the genre for this episode is horror. If you haven't noticed, we have a horror theme this episode. So... Uh, yeah, for me, my number one uh, in horror is The Conjuring, um, and I've only watched it once, and I will probably never watch it again. Wow. Yeah, no, it, for, it really got me, like, bad. So, something, <laughs> me and my dad, for some reason, both uh, we're, we're alike in a lot of ways, but the main way is we're both scared of supernatural stuff. <laughs> like, nice. Yeah, no, we, I can't do it. You, you tell me there's a ghost in the closet, and I am out. I can't do it, man. But I'm glad that you're putting this information out there to the general oh, public yeah. because <laughs> anyone that meets you now will know exactly where the sensitive spot is and go straight for yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay. I'm used to it. I, like, I don't do – I don't I, – I try not to do, like, uh, the, you know, ghost towns and stuff like that. Um, Amazing. You know, I can't do them, man. I just can't. Can you – do you know why – do you know what it is um, that, that – it's that for you and your dad. Do you have an idea of why it's that thing that's so scary for I you guys? I really don't know. Um, 
I've always been a scaredy cat growing up. I know that much. <laughs> like with real world stuff, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Like I think of like a burglar or something that, that I mean, it scares me, but it doesn't scare me. Like I think, you know why? Because he scared me as a kid, but my, like, my whole life, he would scare me. Okay. When I was like 15, he did this thing. He got, all right, so we were putting in flooring in a room, <laughs> right? And uh, he, we had to move my whole bed into uh, a game room that had open, like had the sliding doors, you know? Okay. And it had two of okay. them, so you could see directly outside into my room. And <laughs> we had a pond, so it was real Friday the 13th, 13th-ish, nice. you know? Um, and yet right. I like to bring that up a lot. Um, so I would always like stare at my reflection, trying to look outside as I was like getting dressed and stuff, you know, make sure nobody was Hilarious. looking at me or anything. Well, I, I'm about to get in bed and something grabs my leg as I'm crawling into bed and wow. I hear a scream, like it was just bone chilling. And it was my dad <laughs> under my bed, grabbing my leg to scare me. And I was like, 15. wow. Yeah, this is heartless. This is a heartless move, but a good dad move. I mean, you have to you have to scare your looking children, back. Like. It was funny, but I like I think about it now, like as a, as an adult. And I'm like, that's what is wrong with me is I can't. That's what did it. He's been the problem. But it's funny because he's the it, same way. So maybe his dad did it to him. I mean, maybe it's a family <laughs> thing, you know, he's had some and, interesting experiences. <laughs> I mean, I think it's awesome, and I, I, I kind of do think it's like every good father's duty to scare their children. Right. And I do it to my kids. It's strangies, <laughs> and I hope so. I mean, it's great and well deserved. You know that just for being a kid, like they have to, they have to have that in their lives. But we did the same thing. I grew up on a farm, and for a while, you know, it's like every opportunity you got. I mean, from the time I was very little, it's like we had this um, grate in the floor of our house and my dad went down there and my sister and I, we were little. I mean, maybe she's like four and I'm like seven (laughs) and he goes down in the basement to like work on the furnace, you know, and he gets down there and he starts yelling and screaming and banging. And I mean, you're four and seven. Like it was horrifying. (laughs) You're scared of the basement anyways, you know? And there was just, there was, there were no rules. And I think that that really affected like my love for horror and ability to relate to it. And it makes films like, you know, if that's your experience and then with the conjuring, it just, it makes them so much personal and more fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just watching it, I watched it with, uh, with a good buddy of mine and his girlfriend and my wife and, you know, kids were in bed, which was okay. But, uh, <laughs> just, I, I can't, I, the other problem is, is I can't be next to my wife during a horror flick because when she gets scared, she'll grab me. You know, awesome. something jumps out and she'll grab my leg <laughs> or my arm. And it just, it, oh my God, it's a horrible feeling. Brings back those memories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it brings back those feeling. memories. So, it, but I can't help it. I, I can't help myself. I have to watch them. I don't know what's wrong with me. It's uh, amazing. But I, you know, that one I can only watch once. Um and I probably won't watch it again for a while. That's so funny. Yeah. The, so that was number one for me. So what did you have for uh, number one? So a pretty different direction. Um, my number one is Jaws. Really? See, I, yes. I thought about that one because that scared me when I was a kid, too, because I watched it at Galveston Beach as a kid when we were at the hotel Interesting. There. Yeah. And imagine so, being seven. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, yeah. And I mean, and here, here's the reason I picked Jaws. You know, people argue, you know, they're like, ah, is it true horror? Like it kind of like brinks on action adventure. But here's my thing, you know, it's like not only did it change like the entire 
business of film. It was the first summer blockbuster. Right. Um, but it is a film that it, it transcends genres. It, it transcends artistic mediums. Everyone has heard of it, whether they like scary movies or not, regardless of how old they are. I mean, if you go ask, you know, a millennial in this day and age, like, eh, Jaws, they know what it is. And everyone has that kind of deep-seated visceral sphere of water and of sharks and it just resonates with such a huge body of people on such a huge level and with such a huge cultural influence um that in addition to just being a phenomenal film um yeah i that's my number one yeah i totally agree with that um that was uh it had an impact on me because i didn't want to take a bath after that movie <laughs> yeah yeah just you don't want to get in a swimming pool yeah, I mean, yeah. when you're a kid it just to completely trips you out yeah that i mean there's like so many cool like stories of how they made that movie and how he was like so over budget and everything oh, went man. wrong with it and then yeah it just the the reason why it ended up being so suspenseful was because they couldn't get the robot shark to work yeah. yeah and then it greatest thing that ever yeah, happens like it, it just happened to work out perfectly and that's where the music came from and the suspense so yeah absolutely yeah. and i mean i know they had a tremendous amount of trouble not only in production um but then in post-production like really getting the edit to work and you know they were like reshooting uh scenes in the editor's swimming pool and i just i love that a film that's that huge and and that epic and monumental is just you hear those stories of like how much trouble they had and it makes it so relatable. And you're like, even on this huge level, I mean, this was Universal Studios yeah. um, and Steven Spielberg. Yeah. And they're shooting close ups, you know, and inserts in the editor's swimming pool. And I mean, it just it makes it somehow relatable. And and yeah, I mean, for me, Jaws is, is just hands down my number one. Yeah, that's I mean, that's a good choice. I, I it's uh, definitely a good choice. Number two for me was uh, the Netflix movie uh, Gerald's Game. So, and I haven't seen it, oh so goodness. I'm interested. I'm, I've I've read the book, but I haven't oh, seen oh, the good. film. I haven't read the book. Um, I probably should because the movie was not what I expected it to be at all. Do you? I can't. Well, now you're on the show. You got to hear the spoilers, man. I'm sorry. I feel like it's okay. I mean, I've I've kind of built up an immunity. Like, I it's hard to like really just succumb <laughs> to watching the film and feeling it. So, yeah. yeah, like, yeah, I want to hear what you think of it because I'm interested. I've heard a lot of great things about the film, but what's strange is I I never heard anything compelling enough to get me to be like, I need to watch this. I need to watch this right now. Well, I don't know why that is. It's kind of one of those. So I'm interested. Yeah, it's kind of one of those word of mouth things with horror films. Like, you don't expect it to be a horror. I thought it was going to be a, a like a thriller. Um, sort of thing and almost like 127 hours um, you know right you, right you know what the synopsis of it is or the summary right absolutely okay. and, and from the book and I think that's one of the things and like you said for 127 hours and after reading the book I was kind of like eh, just not sure how compelling of a film it will be so that's what I thought yeah. but that then everybody's like I saw the reaction videos to it and I was like okay maybe I need to watch this because everybody like and it wouldn't show you what it was you know, it just showed right. the people's reaction to the video. So I was like, okay, I got to go watch this. So so I watched it, and that part, what I mean, it, it was really hard to watch, and it huh. it grossed me out, but, you know, uh, just basically, you know, she's handcuffed to her bed, and she can't get away, right. and that's pretty much it. Um, but the horrifying part that got me was the uh, goblin thing in the movie. 
interesting. Yeah, because you, I don't know, man. You just you leave her doors are all open, so this thing can come in and out as it pleases. The windows are open, right? And that fear of something coming in is what scared me more than the actual fear of being handcuffed to a bed. I I, I don't know why the, the handcuff. I mean, the handcuff to the bed makes it interesting too, because in addition to that, she's she's helpless. Like yeah, it does come in. Exactly. It's not like she can run or hide. But you know? yeah, it's like this childhood fear of like something coming into your room, you know? That that's right, right. Basically, the movie to me, to me, it, it may not Absolutely. be to everybody else, but to me, it was. Um, and you know, Stephen King's really twisted, so I'll leave the rest of it and what the dude was doing up to you and everybody else that I, hasn't I'll say seen this. It. I, hey, I'll say this, like you talked me into it with the goblin thing. And that's something from the book that didn't resonate with me as deeply, I think, because, you know, a, a, a film and a book are such different storytelling mediums oh, yeah. that the the book is so internalized that, again, I was like, yeah, it was a great book, but how are they going to make this into a film? And I'd read it years ago. And the thing that, like, was impressed upon me was basically just that this guy had handcuffed her to a bed and then he kicked the bucket <laughs> and she was stuck there yeah. and she was thirsty and she was hungry and she couldn't get away and that was the primary thing I remembered I'd actually had forgotten the whole thing about this like goblin thing that was outside and and you kind of reminding me of that is definitely adds a, a, a visual an external element to the story that I'm like okay oh, yeah I need to check it yeah, out Yeah, just wait till <laughs> you see it and it's it's not, it's kind of a suspense jump scare sort of thing. Uh, you don't really, it's not, I don't know, you would call it jump scare, but it's something when you see it, you're like, I did not want to see that just then. That, nice. Why did that have to happen? <laughs> so, very, no, I, you, you talked me into it. I mean, you just sold me on it. I'm, I'll be checking oh, it good, out here very, good. very soon. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What's your, <laughs> I'll let you know what I what's think. What's your number two? So, my number two film um, is Scream. The 1996 Scream with uh, Nev Campbell, Drew Barrymore, and uh, Skeet Ulrich, and uh, Matthew Lillard. Okay. David Arquette. Yeah. All right. Why? Why? What's the What's the reasoning? So, I think for me, Scream. I mean, it's a deconstructive film in that it starts to point out like all of the staples of the genre from within the film. It was the first scary movie that I ever saw that effectively did that. And it did it without breaking the reality and it did it like so fluidly and so naturally that I think it actually heightened the believability and the reality of the the circumstance and the situation for me. Um, I also related very deeply to it. I, I was, uh, give away my age here, but um, <laughs> I was in high school at the time. So I related to those kids, their plight, their social situation and circumstance. Um, and I loved the humor in the film. I mean, I felt like the humor was so honest and it wasn't like nudge nudge like wink wink at the audience it was very honest humor and to me it heightened the suspense it heightened the conflict and there were just so many unexpected like points and twists and i i just i absolutely absolutely love the film i think that it changed the genre and i think it's one of the most fun scary movies i've ever seen well yeah i mean they made scary movie after it so Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That is actually one of the horror flicks that I have not got around to watching, believe it or not. It's, wow. I don't know why. I just, I think because it just looks so cheesy to me. Uh, not, nothing against it. I'm just saying, and I can't say much because I've watched every fr uh, Friday the 13th film. Um, <laughs> so I can't say anything about cheesy. So I will give it a shot. I'll watch it one of these days. I promise. 
Um, yeah, definitely give it a shot. I'd be interested to see. I can, you know, in those in those days in the nineties, they cut they yeah boy back they cut trailers very differently, and I can definitely see where as you have films like Scary Movie that it inspired that then like kind of. Uh, are, are really sharp satires inspired by that film <laughs> yeah. as well as in the way the trailer is. I can definitely see to where you could perceive it to be a little bit like campy and corny. But if you watch the film, I would be really interested to see if your opinion of it kind of stands in that direction. Um, so yeah, de- definitely check it out, man. Okay. Definitely, definitely in my top three and put it in the top two because of the deconstructive nature of it and the way that it kind of like pointed out the tropes of the genre in a very realistic and fun fashion and just just a very fun movie i think if you love scary movies i think you can't help but appreciate it i think you'd enjoy okay. it yeah yeah definitely will check it out and you've, you've completely changed my mind and my third is the babadook um oh, right right i don't know why i like for some i, I talk on uh, episode two of the podcast i talked with brady clayton and something we were talking about um because we actually had to record it twice um <laughs> it was uh it wow. was not yeah that second one wasn't as fun <laughs> as the first but we talked about british people and you know the english accents <laughs> and stuff and I'm, it's correct me if i'm wrong it's made in australia you know what honestly i do not know where the babadook was made i think it is but it, the point is it's like a british style accent that they have so a lot Absolutely. of it was really hard for me to understand how they were talking um interesting yeah and I, I don't know why just for some reason british people it's like i'm looking at the screen and i'm just hearing blah 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 but they're speaking english so i don't know what's wrong with me <laughs> uh but yeah so the movie kind of shook me because it didn't it's it was one of those one of those movies where it it pulls you in the whole time and you never see anything you know right and you want to right. you want to know what this thing looks like um Right. So I would inadvertently scare myself by trying to scare my wife uh, at night. I would wait till it got really quiet, and then I'd like <laughs> just not move or anything. I'd be like, "Baba, <laughs> just to kind of and she'd slap me or whatever. But get her in that mentality. Yeah, and then I'd start thinking about it, and then it would get me, you know, and I have to act like I'm not so scared. So funny. But yeah, that one that one had me shook pretty good, too. Other than that, there's really not uh, a lot of movies that had me, like, on edge later on. These All three of these movies, like, got me several days or weeks or randomly later, you know, got me thinking about right? it. So that's why I put them on my top three, because they scared me, you know? Like, legitimately Interesting. scared Interesting. Me. Um... Very cool. Yeah, and, and uh, honorable mention uh, would be the... Um, actually, go ahead with your number three, and then we'll go to the honorable mention. Okay, so it's interesting that you po- you picked uh, your three on, on on the merit of the fright. Yeah. <laughs> I debated as to if I should go with my three scariest or just I went with my three favorite within the genre. Right. So not necessarily the scariest. Um so it's interesting that you took that approach yeah, yeah, and can definitely see. I like that it's different, though. It made it different for us. Yeah. So. Interesting. Um, so my third one, and look, I feel like this could change day to day <laughs> because I was like, I, I again, I was in torment about this. Like, what's my third film? And I inevitably settled on Alien, man. Really? Yeah. On Ridley Scott's Alien. Um, sci-fi horror. But... 
at the end of the day, I settled on Alien. And, you know, I, I've got this long list. I've got all these honorable mentions. There's probably about 13 solid ones on my film. And, and in the end, I settled on Alien, making my top three. Nice. Well, that's that's crazy. Um, me and the wife just watched them all. We watched the, watched them all in order recently. Nice. Yeah. Clear up through Alien Covenant or just like one through three or so how far did you go in the series? So we went to Alien versus Predator and whatever came after okay. that one. Um, we did not okay. get to the prequels, though. Got you. So, Good. It can be okay to avoid those. That's I mean, you got to be in the right heard. place for those. That's what I've heard. And I mean, honestly, I had some trouble with Alien versus Predator. I had some trouble with Alien Requiem, AVB Requiem, like even the fourth. I, I, I have trouble with the entire Alien universe except for the first three films. Well, see, for me, it was like I, I couldn't. Once we started it, we were like, well, let's see what happens because they kept leaving it open every time, you know. And so you want to know yeah, what's going to happen. Yeah. And you're like, oh, <laughs> dead, the alien's going to get sucked down to space. I know what's going to happen. Every time, yeah. you know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. But yeah, no, I enjoyed them. Um, on the scary side, it wasn't so scary, you know, and especially the first one, it was uh, if pretty cheesy. And, you know, with that time period, I'm sure it was scary. So it's sometimes right. it's hard to put yourself in that, in that, in those shoes of back then. When did it come out? What was, totally. What do you remember the year? Uh, I think it was, I think it was, <coughs> I think it was like 78 or 79. Okay. I mean, it's a pretty early film, and I think for me, like, I love the simplicity of the film. Um, I love how much of a slow burn it is, but the fact that it's slow, it's still not really boring. Like, it's compelling. It's interesting how he moves us through this spaceship, and he sets the stage. Um, I love seeing the influence of, like, 2001 A Space Odyssey, like, with the reflection of, like, the monitors firing up in the helmet <laughs> and just kind of, like, the way the ship is designed. And I love how, like, uh, based in reality, I feel like it is for if we were in that era. You know, it's like, it's very utilitarian. It's very blue-collar, working class. Um, they don't have, like, fancy spaceships and fancy stuff. It's very, like, working class. And, you know, they take all the necessary precautions. Like, when they go out and they wear the spacesuits and... Uh, the face hugger gets the guy for the first time, you know, it's like if you've never if you imagine a time when there was no alien movies and we didn't know of that. And the first time you'd see that, like the impact it would have on you. Right. Um, yeah. We'd never seen anything like that, you know, and and then bringing him into the spaceship and kind of breaking the quarantine um, uh, procedure and kind of like the moral dilemma that that presented. Uh, and then just how this, you know, you think the guy is okay. You think that the, the monster is the face hugger, which it's a, kind of a scary thing to think about this thing getting on your face and strangling you and has acid blood. Yeah. But then, you know, it bursting out of his chest. I mean, again, it's like at that point, you completely didn't expect that. And the way that they just kind of like naturally let that build up and then heightened it from there. Um, I just find it to be so simple, so elegant um, and, and just so masterfully executed that it's, it's absolutely one of my, uh, one of my favorite films. I do think that it was like, you know, uh, ahead of its time as far as the writing. Um, but you know, they had to start that sort of genre and get that role in somewhere. Um, so right. to, you know, if they would have taken that movie, if it had never been made and then took the same script and threw it into 2018, I feel like it would have been right. epic. You know, with the the yeah, way yeah. they can and do I, all the effects now, it's just that would have been so cool. 
Um, and it is interesting how we perceive things because of, you know, back then they were doing everything practically and yeah. now, you know, it's like they can enhance it through CGI and stuff. Well, and, and it's like, that is a very <laughs> interesting thing. Right. And like the, the artificial intelligence dude's head popping off and then how they had to make it look like it was whenever it like came back and she like reached down and picked it up. It was a horrible, horrible edit. Uh, they didn't do anything right. to cover it up or mask it or change anything about it. And she like reached down and you could clearly see that it was cut. And then the dude's head was placed there. Like it wasn't even the same spot. <laughs> and, uh, Absolutely. you know, but, and then after that, they did some practical stuff, but like seeing little things like that now, like I wonder back then, did they like notice that stuff or were they like, wow, his head just, it's, it's real, you know? You know, I, I, to your point, like, I don't think they did, you know, it's like you, I think you, you bought into the reality of it a little bit more, um, easily and with less skepticism. It's like, even go back and look at like the first three, like star Wars, you those know, those are still and, awesome. Though. I mean, I find, you know, I find things in those that I'm just like, compared to the <laughs> stuff that you see today yeah. is, is you're just like, we, again, like we are so. Uh, developed as consumers and our expectations are so high Very because high, of what they're yeah. able to now accomplish with movie magic that when you go back, I mean, even with Jaws, sometimes like now knowing that that shark is a robot and you go back and watch it, you can see some stuff where you're like, yeah, he looks pretty rigid right there, you know? Like a robot. <laughs> um, yeah. And you know, and, and like, so you're, it is interesting. And I, I think to your point, like it's something that people, I think filmmakers and directors uh, have a lot of discussions about now. And it's like where that line is between practical effects and CGI, oh. because if you make something completely CGI, people are kind of cognizantly aware that it's CGI and not real and it affects the fear yeah. factor. If you make something completely practical, it can look a little bit hokey. So yeah. where's the line? Well, you know? what, from what I've learned is that it's cheaper for those type of movies, the action movies, you know, to use the CGI versus breaking all the stuff that they would in, uh, you know, using real stuff, you know, and then they got absolutely choreograph it, make it all perfect. So, whereas they could just get some dude to design it and do it that way. You know, yeah. Um, yeah, I see the I see both sides of it and how it's effective. But I would like to see them start to get back to their practicalness of it. Um, just from yeah. a personal standpoint, I, I'm tired of CGI. I, I totally agree. <laughs> Getting there. I, I totally agree. I want to see I want to see like a happier balance between the two, you know, where it's like maybe you have this really nice practical creature, but you enhance it through what you do with the eyes or just adding a nice sheen or texture or movement to it. Like, I, I, I totally agree. And I think that we're getting closer um, to that as they've pushed the bounds of CGI to a point where, like you said, like audiences are they're getting a little bit conditioned to it. You know, yeah. sorry. Like uh, a lot, like a lot of the Marvel movies, for example, um, you know, with Vision, for example, you know, it's a real dude, but then they throw him into the air and go through buildings and stuff. Um, that's right. like a good example because they do that; they just paint his face, and then you do see the after effects later on because he still has I don't know what it is that they use, you know, the little dots they keep all over his face to kind of animate it or whatever later. Um, right. But at the same time, they still have them in a full costume. So you're seeing both sides of it. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would totally. like to see, I, like, I, I agree, completely agree. Well, I think they'll get yeah. there. So, uh, what's your number one honorable mention? And we'll just, we won't say uh, why. We'll just say what the movie is and we got to get moving on. Number one honorable mention, dude. Not fair. I guess the first one, I'm, ugh. 
I, uh, I guess I guess I'm gonna say Lost Boys. Lost Boys. The Lost the Boys vampire film. Absolutely, really? man. I just recently watched that for the first time. That's. I'm gonna throw that on because you made me choose one, <laughs> and then I'm looking at this list over here, and I'm like, ugh. So that's the one I'm picking right now, man. Okay. Uh, mine is gonna be the Winchester House. Um, yeah, it's. Haven't seen it yet, but want to. Won't say anything about it because it's pretty fresh. Um, go watch it, or I know they got it on Amazon right now. Um, most streaming nice. places. It's not Amazon Prime. You still gotta pay for it, but it's like five ninety nine or whatever. So okay, it's, okay, it'll be worth it's it. worth it though. If watch it with a friend though, I promise. All right, all right. awesome. I will do it. I will well, do it. all these movies are amazing, and we have a lot of new films coming up this year. And with that being said, it's time for review previews. All right. So, what trailer or preview have you seen recently that you're uh, that you're one to talk about? And spoilers don't matter okay. because it's a preview. Okay, so I'm going to break out of the genre a little bit That's here. That's totally I'm fine. I'm going to go completely... Okay, cool. I'm going to go completely science fiction of just the last trailer that I saw that really made an impact on me. <laughs> and I don't even like the show. Um, I actually... I really don't like the show. But the the Westworld season two trailer blew my mind. I just... I loved the simplicity of it. I loved the... The simplicity of the music and the shots that they started with. Um, I'm not sure if you've watched Westworld. Oh, yes. But, we, it's but on the it, podcast. <laughs> okay, okay, great, great. Um, but I love how, like, they started, you know, with, like, you, you see an Indian or Native American, like, riding on his horse, kind of, like, you know, through the plains. And you see this very, like, beautiful, like, wild west kind of world. And then the way it transitions into breaking into this completely, like, science fiction uh, type setting. I just thought that the rhythmic quality and the pacing of the um, of the trailer and the story that it told was absolutely masterfully done. And I don't know, you know, what your opinion of the show is, but I wish the show was as good as that trailer. <laughs> so I like the show. Uh, I'm a fan, um, <laughs> but I feel like the the you know with how many different uh, scenes and shots they have, the editors have a lot of free range to make it Absolutely. look better, you know? Uh, but I think episode five, I want to say has already come out. I will, uh, I'm pretty yeah, sure. They're pretty far along. Yeah. It's about uh Shogun world. I think is what it's called. Um, so if you're not a fan, it's actually um, kind of starts tying in the other worlds together. Um, so Got you. yeah, that's what season two is all about. Um, if you haven't seen season one, you just got to watch it and you'll be able to figure it out from there. Totally, totally. Yeah, I watched season one. I started on season two and then I kind of like kind of tapered off. But man, I loved that trailer. Um, and my other trailer, that, the most recent one that sticks out to me, and this is going back a little ways, but there was one of the trailers for the It reboot that I just thought was phenomenal where they end the trailer with this uh, really kind of like this this chanting like, you'll float too, and it gets more intense and... so. And uh, the have you seen it though? Increases. I've seen it several times. I have. Oh, okay. So you're you're are you a fanboy of it then? You like uh, you uh, really into the movie? I mean, you seen the new one or the so old one? Both, both. I, I I watched the old one before I went and saw the new one. Revisited the old one and watched the new one again. Wow. I, it's interesting because again, like how different the and I'm a huge Stephen King fan, so <laughs> that's one of my favorite books. 
Um, and as a filmmaker, I was so hyped for this film to come out because I was like, what story components are they going to focus on? How are they going to format this as a, as from a story perspective in the film and the stuff that they were showing me in the trailers, I was just hyped about. <laughs> um, but there's so much in that book that you could focus on and so many different things, themes and elements that you could like bring out and push aside that it, it's interesting because there are a lot of things I would have, I would have done differently. Can't say if it would have been a better film or not. They did a pretty good job. I mean, it was a good film, but it's hard, I think, to make that as satisfying as a film as it is as a book. Um, so I'm not sure, you know, it's like, there are things I respect about it, but definitely not, um, yeah, not even getting close to my top 10 list or, (laughs) or anything like that, but they had that one trailer and I was, I was geeking out over that trailer. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) so the, the movie I picked is, uh, the Meg with Jason Statham and Ruby Rose and Ryan Wilson and Robert Taylor. And I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Another shark movie in the same podcast. Dude, I am um, like, I am hyped for this one. So I've been waiting. Really? Yes. yes. I like, I like shark movies, except for Sharknado. I am not a fan of that. I don't know what can <laughs> change my mind. So happy about that. Okay. Okay. But the Meg, Jason Statham, tell me about it. What are you so, thinking? Basically from what I gather is they're like in this underwater pod uh, the giant shark, they find out that this 70 foot shark, the megalodon that's supposed to be dead for 2 billion years is alive. And now they're trying to track it down and kill it, I guess. Um, so yeah. that, that seems like the trailer. So, uh, a lot of action packed stuff in the trailer and it's like jumping out of the water. I'm sh- looks like it's got comedy too. And I like, I like Jason Statham and I like his comedy. So he's pretty, uh, he's pretty funny dude with, I guess, almost like Tom Cruise in their action is what their comedy is. Right. Not what they say, but what they do kind of thing. So Totally, totally. Yeah, I'm excited. Well, hey, it. more power to you. Um, let me know what you think of it. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. I heard about this thing called The Meg, this shark movie with Jason Statham, and I was like, what is this? And I did watch the trailer, and the, the trailer actually vastly exceeded my expectations. I was like, okay, it looks like somebody at least thought about this. Um <laughs> I, but yeah, I'm I'm very skeptical, so <laughs> we'll see, man. Yeah, and same thing, you know, we talked about the CGI before, and it's kind of hard not to CGI a 70-foot shark, so... Um, Absolutely, not, yeah. You know what I mean, to make it look real, but yeah, so... Yeah, we'll see what, we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah, I think it's gonna be good. <laughs> the man. So, and then, finally, we're gonna talk about your trailer, uh, Animal Among Us. So, from what I saw... Um, I enjoyed it and it made me want to watch it. Uh, I excellent. I had you know there's I don't know what you were trying to cue in on and I really don't want you to tell me because I want to watch it. You know I want to see it and figure it out from there. Um, I'm hoping this trailer isn't like trying to uh, set me up for what's there and that's just it. I'm hoping that it'll be a lot more and uh, you know and and kind of mess with my mind. Um, and you know, you watch trailers, and a lot of times they—it's uh, exactly what the movie is, and that's it. You know, right? So, right. <clears throat> you know, well, no, you know, I, I love to hear you say all of that, and I, I do think I'm really excited to be able to release this trailer, um, which we probably won't be able to do until we have a release date for the film, right. because generally you want to try to release your trailer within a reasonable amount of time of the the film's release. Um, but I'm I'm so psyched to release this trailer because. Uh, 
I do think that it gives a very accurate representation of what you can expect from the film as far as, again, the rhythm of it, the energy of it, um, the questions that will be asked, a bit of the humor, uh, a bit of the suspense, but I don't think it gives too much away. And definitely we very consciously left out any and all shots of, of any of like the big giveaway moments, if oh, you good. will, to try to make it as much of a tease as possible. So it's definitely not one of those trailers where it's like, ah, oh, man, they put every great line and every <laughs> joke in yeah. the trailer. We actually kind of went the opposite direction with it. And I had, um, I actually had a friend edit the trailer for me. Um, he, he also was kind of the lead editor on the film. We kind of did this thing where I would take a pass at it. He would take a pass at it. I would take a pass at it. And this kid's a very legitimate editor. His name's Will Gong. Um, he's cut stuff for straight out of Compton, the guardians of the galaxy stuff. Uh, yeah, he's, he's very, very legitimate and wanted to sink his teeth into this feature, which I found to be insanely flattering. And he took it to a whole, uh, a level that I would have alone never been able to get it to. Um, and generally he's cutting trailers and featurettes and behind the scenes stuff. And so I didn't want to ask him and be like, Hey, Will, you know, you want to cut the trailer on this thing. (laughs) And I was so close to the story. I didn't really know what the trailer looked like. I didn't know what to focus on. I didn't know how to like, you know, position it. And once we kind of got to a picture lock, uh, point with the film, he came back to me about a month later and he's like, man, you want me to cut a trailer for you? I'm just like, uh, yes, please. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and he's, yeah. And he's like, here's the conditions. He's like, I don't want notes. He's like, let me do my thing. He's like, but let's sit down and talk about trailers that you like and talk about what you want. And I told him, I was like, you know, I just, I don't want, a a an elegant montage. I was like, I want people to leave the trailer having an idea of a little bit of what this film is about, the world that it's set in and enough questions that they want to see it. And that's, you I hit think it, you the hit. guy nailed it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's where I, I'm at. Yeah. I want to know what it is. And I tell you the thing that's like getting me is because I feel like you're holding out some stuff on me, honestly, because Oh, dude, we're holding out so much on you, man. The the marks on the back, that's what got me. Yeah. And that's where I was like, yeah. okay, now wait a minute. This whole time I'm thinking it's going to be a person. Now I'm thinking it might be an animal. Or is it, you know, just like all kinds of stuff. It's just like, I gotta watch, I'm probably going to go watch it again. So you might have to change the password again. Uh, <laughs> nah, go ahead, man. Watch it as many times as you want. Yeah. Like I said, I can't wait to like release this trailer yeah, to the public. Absolutely. and. I'm, I'm so excited to release a film too. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it can be a crazy long process. We shot this film, um, in basically like late summer and into the fall of 2015. Oh, wow. Um, and then, yeah, we started the initial edit. I knew that I wanted to get, uh, get the basic edit together and then go back and shoot pickups and insert shots. Just because when you have your full cast and your full crew there, um, you're spending a lot of money and then you're shooting inserts, you're shooting a hand, turning a doorknob or picking up a glass, like whatever it is. And it gets expensive and time consuming quick. So I was like, I actually want to like focus on really capturing the performances, capturing like the primary like action and dialogue of the film, get, you know, pickups that I absolutely need that I won't be able to create. But then I want to be able to go back for like three or four days get inserts, pickups, cutaways, establishing shots um, that I feel like I can have a little bit more um, of a specific idea of what I want and what I need. So, you know, not quite a year after we shot, like we went back, we did uh, three days of pickups and inserts and then dropped that stuff in. And then, you know, the film kind of got to a level where uh, 
distributors and sales agents are like, look, man, we want we want this delivered in 4K. Like we want a 5.1 surround sound mix. And I was thinking <laughs> I shot in 4K because I had to shoot very fast. So I'm like, I'm going to have to like punch in and reframe images, not I'm actually going to deliver a 4K film. Also thinking I'm going to deliver this thing in stereo, not that I have to deliver it in 5.1. So some of those things became a little bit challenging to get done with the budget that I had because I didn't anticipate that. And um, I also really wanted to like test it for audiences because to your point, it raises a lot of questions. It's a, it needs to be a fun film, but there are some very finite lines that we walk as far as like how you feel about different characters, like how you're interpreting things and what we're trying to lead you to believe in one direction or the other. So I tested it at the Horror Hound Film Festival um, in like March of 2017, got a phenomenal response and then was able to like finish up my sound, my score, my color correction, um, my VFX from there and start searching for a distributor. So it, it was kind of a long process. But yeah, believe me, I'm I'm so ready for <laughs> this trailer to drop and this thing to come out. It's maddening. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm definitely going to be following you on it on Instagram and uh, whatever platforms I can find you on. So we can uh, so I because <laughs> I want to find it. I want to be able to see it. Well, yeah, we'll definitely keep you posted. Yeah. We'll definitely keep, you know, keep everybody in the loop. Yeah, so well, I mean, as soon as we know anything, absolutely be blasting it out whenever there. you whenever it gets up, we want to get you back on the show. I want to be able to talk with you, talk about the experiences that come of it and uh, hopefully be able to talk about your other um, movies that you got coming up too. Uh, yeah, that would be amazing. Well, it looks like we got some great movies coming our way. Okay, this is my number one favorite part of the show. It's time to play Cinema Trivia. The rules are simple. <laughs> Me and my guests ask each other movie trivia questions. Three questions each, best out of three. With the off chance that there is a tie, we will go into overtime. So I'll start this off. All right. <clears throat> John, okay. are you ready? I I am as ready as I can be. Okay. Me too. <laughs> All right. When, <laughs> and it's still, uh, sorry, it's still horror filmed, uh, genre themed. So. Okay. Okay. <sighs> when Carrie... 1976 goes to the stage after being voted prom queen. Bullies douse her with the blood of what animal? They douse her with pig's blood. That is correct. God, man. Okay. Okay, that's... I'm I'm in trouble. All right. Fire away. Okay. Uh, Man, I'm a little worried. I, you know, we'll see how this goes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) The famous director, John Carpenter... His third feature film was Halloween. What was his first feature film? <laughs> oh my god! Oh yeah. Uh, oh, I forgot to mention the hint thing. And it is, I'm not making this up. I'm not. I'm not making this up. No. Okay. 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 Uh, that, so we've done it in the past. Uh, we get one hint per person for all four questions. Or well, if we go into or- overtime, all four <laughs> questions. Brutal. Yes, I Brutal. know. Um. So this is, let me ask you this just real quick. Is this the hardest question you have or the easiest? This is the hardest question I have, I think. Because <laughs> I'll tell you which one's my hardest. Um, <laughs> but whenever <laughs> okay. it comes up. But you already got one right. So okay. I, yeah, I want uh, I want my hint, please. Okay. Um, it is a science fiction comedy that was released in 1974. And I will even give you a summary. In the far reaches of space, a small crew, 20 years into their solitary mission, 
find things beginning to go hilariously wrong. Oh, well, no. Dang. Why did that movie have to pop into my head? Oh, my gosh. Uh, I'm probably, am I going to like, am I going to shoot myself after, after I hear this? I don't, I actually, I don't think you are. Okay. I don't, okay. <laughs> I don't know how many people I don't. Yeah. I mean, this might've been a little bit of a hard question. Okay. Um, well, I got to give an answer. Uh, is it uh space balls? No, but kind of along the same That's... lines, it's called dark star. Nope. Never, and never even heard of it. Actually. It's, interesting it's called dark star 1974 comedy sci-fi and um it's a it's the the tagline is the spaced out odyssey (laughs) so kind of six years after 2001 a space odyssey kind of like poking a little bit of fun of that okay and uh wow yeah yeah i guess i'll have to i'll have to start digging into uh some of the odd and peculiar movies for this game (laughs) Yeah, so yeah, maybe, maybe. Sorry, I was like, as a like super famous horror director, it's like a little bit of a sci-fi horror comedy here, so yeah. <laughs> that one could have been a little tricky. That's okay. All right. Okay. Man, I got you some easy ones, too. Jeez. All right, number two oh, coming at no, you. Oh, no, I'm okay. sorry. Now I feel bad. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. All right. <laughs> Leatherface was a character in what horror film? Oh, man. You you did go easy on me. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, you're correct. It's correct. Bing, bing, bing. Okay. Thank you. No, thank you're you. welcome. Um, <laughs> it's hard to find like uh, questions that are relatively hard, but not hard where you can't figure out the answer. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And that's where like when I was looking at this, I was kind of like, uh, I was kind of like, okay, like how far do I, do I take this or not? You know? So that could be one of the hardest, one of the hardest questions. Um, so yeah, we'll, we will now, (laughs) we'll now find out. So my second question for you is about a film that we discussed Mm -hmm. earlier, a film by a certain Steven Spielberg named Mm -hmm. Jaws. The question is, what was the name of the marine biologist slash scientist <laughs> that was brought in to assist Chief Martin Brody in his hunt for the shark. You know what's funny? This it's not. <laughs> it's I, I don't know the answer. And uh, I, if you would have asked Martin Brody, I would have been able to answer that one because that was a question on one of the episodes that I, it was a question I asked. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, give me a second. I have to think about it. See, I, the I've... scientist marine biologist played by Richard Dreyfus. I know exactly who the actor Chief... is. I've seen him. I know what he looks like. I know what he looks like as an old man now, but it's, geez, what is his name? There was, there was Chief Martin Brody, Quint. Quint yelled this name several times throughout the film. Oh, yeah, I'm going to shoot. I'm, yeah, I'm, it's, yeah, I'm done. The I character's can't. name was Matt Hooper. Nope, nope, it wouldn't stick. <laughs> There's no way that would stick with me. Old oh, Hooper. Man. Oh, God, yeah, this is horrible. I'm doing I, really bad at this. You've already. I feel bad. I think I should have went easier. I feel no, bad. No, no, you're, you're good. These are like normal questions. Uh, Well, maybe not the first one. Second one, totally normal, you know, trivia question. <laughs> So, all right. Well, you basically won. Uh, you already got two. 
out of three, and I've already missed two. So <laughs> uh, no chance for overtime. But I will say you're the first person to beat me on it. So, all right, I'm going to go ahead and ask you number three and see if you know it, okay? Okay. All right, so a little boy named Robbie Freeling got dragged under his bed by a creepy clown doll that came to life in this 1982 horror film. What was the horror film? Poltergeist. Yep. Ah, oh, man. Three out of three. Good job. And I was Good thinking for, for a minute it might have been Ghost House, but it was actually Poltergeist. Yes. Yes. Wow. Good. That's a good question. That's a good question. I got to see if I'm, if I'm, uh, you know, <laughs> I got to get one. Let's see. Come on. Oh, man. I'm Just so worried it. now. I'm no, so worried okay. about my questions. See, I try to make the first one easiest, and then I go harder from there. And then the fourth one, if it ever goes in overtime, is like ridiculously hard. Like you won't get it. Okay. <laughs> I, and I mean, now I'm like questioning things. I'm like, should I like actually revamp? Should I come up with a different question? No, right no, no, now no, no. Use be... the one you got. Use the one you got. It's cool. Okay. Third question. Uh, I'm, I'm really hoping you get this one. Um, what is the name of the Stephen King book that the film Silver Bullet is based on? So, I, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know. Oh. And it's it sucks that I'm, I know, I know. Oh. I did really bad this I episode. feel so bad. I feel like I just set it's, you up for a fall. No, it's okay. I mean, I could be over here, like, I'm being honest right now, because I could be over here on my side of the computer just, like, <laughs> looking <laughs> it all up on IMDb or whatever, you know. But I'm not, because I don't know. I so appreciate I'm going to tell you straight up, I don't know. I didn't cheat either. I just feel like maybe I picked questions that were a little bit too difficult, <laughs> and I feel horrible it's about okay. it. No, it's fine. You're a big Stephen King fan, so I can see why you picked that. So that's totally understandable. So what, what's the answer, man? I already know I got it. I don't have an answer. Okay, I'm so sorry. Stephen King, it's around 1984. It's a film about a werewolf in a small town um, terrorizing a boy in a wheelchair. The movie is called Silver Bullet. It's based off of a book called Cycle of the Werewolf by Stephen King. <laughs> and it's actually a cool book because it's illustrated. It's, it's formatted very much like Ooh. a children's book. And, and it's a really neat, neat book. That is interesting. You have to check it out. And yeah. the movie. Yeah, um, and it came out in 1984. Okay, I think around 1984. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, it's funny because I, I go back and I listen to these, and then I look them up, and I like say a year, and I'm like three years off at the time. It happens. It happens. <laughs> I think I'm right. <laughs> I, I'm like, yeah, I buy no movies. Uh. <laughs> yeah, no, don't hold me to it. I think it's 84, but don't hold me to okay. it. Okay, I'm not yeah, cheating with the up. internet either. I'm going. I'm trying to go out of my mind here. No, you're good. You're good. All right, so you are actually the, uh, you're not the champion, but you are the winner. Okay, so I appreciate you beat it. Me, you beat me a couple more times, you might be the winning champion. I'm out, of, I'm, I'm out of curiosity, what's your fourth question? My fourth question? I actually didn't come up with one. Okay, okay. I never got around to it. So, um, yeah, I would save your fourth question for the next time we're on here. I will. How's that sound? I, I don't want you to, yeah, because it might be a good one. It might be, hopefully. So, note to self, I need to start looking at Stephen King movies, or adaptation movies, for you. Got it. Right. And I'll, I'll try to, like, uh, figure out if I should ask, you know, stuff that's more, like, relevant to the fictional story, or about the filmmaker, or the author, or, you know, like, try to focus it in a little bit more. Okay. All right. And that's okay. It's, it's all good. You won, man. You won. Thank you, sir. Thank you. <laughs> Congratulations. 
All right, this portion of Cinema Trivia is for all the listeners, viewers, spectators, film fanatics, and movie buffs. I'm going to play a short clip from a film, and you have to figure out what it is. This will be part of the podcast from now until the show ends, and hopefully in the near future we can start giving out prizes. But for now, it's all for fun, so I'm going to play this clip, listen closely, and see if you know what movie it's from. Come and play with us. Play with us, Danny. Forever and ever and ever. If you think you know what it is, take a screenshot of the cover art for the movie and post it to Instagram with the hashtag FilmFanPodcast. And in the caption, put the title of the movie and which episode of FilmFan you're listening to. If you do this, I will try my best to give you a shout-out on the next episode. And we actually don't have any shout-outs this week, or yet. I might have to dub that in later. Cool. So, yeah, this is uh, this has been a great show. Uh, starting off, we had uh, our special guest show up. <laughs> we talked about uh, the movie of the week. Which was It Follows, and it's a great movie. Um, we had our top three uh, horror films, uh, and we talked about previews, upcoming movies, and uh, especially John's uh, new movie that's supposed to be coming out hopefully this year. Um, John, uh, is there anything you want to say to uh, the listeners? Uh, no, you know, just uh, if you want, like check out um, what you can about my film Animal Among Us on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, IMDB. Uh, we're a small independent film, so obviously, like all of the word of mouth and support that we can get um, helps us immensely. So, you know, drop us a right. line. I always love to answer questions and to talk to uh, aspiring filmmakers, fans, pretty much anybody, you know, that likes <laughs> like scary movies. So, you know, uh, if you go to our Instagram page, you're you're definitely going to get a hold of me. Same with the Facebook page. So, hit me up. Don't be a stranger. Um, and thank you so much for having me on, Caleb. It was great. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was my pleasure, and I can't wait to get you back on here because this was a lot of fun for me. Absolutely, especially especially having somebody that's in the industry and you you kind of know what you're talking about. So it's it's cool to <laughs> hear all that. Um, yeah, guys, if uh, if you like this episode, you want to hear more, go to my Facebook page. It's at uh, Film Fan Podcast. Same thing on Instagram. My email is filmfanpodcast at gmail dot com. And uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you once again, John. So I thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for um, having me. It's great. Yes, sir. And thank you everybody that listened in on this one. I know it was a long one, so <laughs> thank you for listening to the whole thing. <laughs> and we'll see you guys next time on Film Fan. Oh, man, man, man.